It's Tuesday, the 1st of November 2016. I am Robin Yellow and this is Tectasm, episode 35, Apple Airheads. And with me again, because nobody else is as cheap, is James Woodall. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you for the warm welcome. How are you this evening? What must you say this week, James? Must I say about what? Well, and that's normally what you say. You say, I must say... And then you say something profound. That obviously hasn't worked this week. I clearly have nothing profound to say. Um, well, although actually, no, I do have to say this. Second Tuesday in a row. So, listener, we say we record on Tuesday. We are, in fact, recording on Tuesday for the second time. And you can take that all the way to the bank. You can. Well, this week, James, we're going to be taking a look at Apple's delayed AirPods, the new MacBook laptops. And Twitter kills off one of its most popular products. And we'll be judging these stories and a couple of others to tell you if they are a tech-tasm, which is a blend of tech for technology and tasm for phantasm, something existing only in a person's mind. So without further Silicon Valley nonsense, let's get on with the show. It's been an up and down week for Apple. So Andrew Griffin in The Independent has written a story about Apple's AirPods. And for the listener, I don't know if you noticed the announcement of the AirPods on the iPhone unveil, which was two months ago now, I think. Um, They are a set of wireless headphones that basically look like normal earphones without the cable. And... Um, they were announced alongside with the new uh, iPhone. And we discussed at length Apple getting rid of the headphone jack and their answer is lightning headphones or um, wireless headphones. Um, But interestingly enough, Apple's AirPods, as they were calling them, have been delayed. Now, uh, what's really interesting is Apple generally is very careful when it comes to launching anything and doesn't talk about things that are not ready to ship, ever. Something has gone seriously wrong with this product, James. Something definitely has gone I mean, what's really weird, though, about this product is they spent $3.2 billion on Beats only to release their own earphones. I mean, that's that's really interesting. I don't quite understand. Yeah, but I can buy that. No, I understand that. Beats has a certain... It's got a brand... For its music service and for its headphones, its headphones are kind of big, uh, um, either over the ear or on the ear. I don't think the Apple AirPod being, as you said earlier, which is basically, you know, um, the uh, what was the the headphone that came before it, which looked like it with a wire coming out of it. What was its kind of launch name for that? I think that was just, uh, oh, AirPods. Earpods, earpods, that's it. So what they've done is they've cleverly taken the earpods and got rid of the wires and called them airpods. Or are they airheads? Because clearly, as you said, they've launched something which didn't work. Yeah, it's in, and interestingly enough, the independent who wrote the story um, said that Apple had in fact given out early versions of the airpods to various journalists and uh, there were no noticeable problems with them. Um which uh, which is really interesting. Um, I mean, what's what's funny about these particular headphones is Apple have actually built a new chip. They've got a thing of doing this. They've built a new chip that specifically powers these, and in fact, that chip has gone into Beats headphones that have actually shipped. So, 
it just does seem a little bit strange as to what could possibly be holding them on. I mean, there's a kind of like caveat to this story only announced a couple of hours ago, which is the company supposedly behind the AirPods, um, which is um, Inventec, um, who you may or may not be familiar with in your day job. Um, Inventec um, supposedly are the manufacturers of the AirPods, and they've announced a surprise 7% growth in profits for early 2017. So the rumors are pointing that the AirPods are not actually going to come out until January. So it's kind of a little bit, I mean, you know, what's going on there? The Apple camp doesn't seem quite so rosy. I mean, this kind of comes off the back of a 15-year low in uh, profit reporting on the latest financial results. So, yeah, but I can kind of look. I mean, as we said before, well, we haven't, we, we're not covering the story of Apple's results this week, but I was expecting them to be low because of the cycle they're in. They've just launched yes. the iPhone 7. The figures weren't going to contain iPhone 7 numbers, so I was expecting a lull. I think it's conflating two things which aren't connected by saying this. AirPod failure is in any way sort of connected to a general malaise at the company, which is mean meaning they cannot deliver on the promises that they're actually making at their launch event. I suspect it's some it could be something as mundane as the batteries don't last very long, or there's some design element of it which uh, Johnny Ive isn't quite happy with. I mean, they, they could be a perfectly innocent explanation in line with the way Apple have delivered products to date, which explain this completely. We're kind of being pessimistic here on Tech Tasm, aren't we, James, to, uh, and assuming it's something catastrophic? Yeah, sure. Um, the, the, I think the difference is Apple aren't normally known for unveiling products that are, that, you know, before their, before their time. I mean, it's very rarely happened. Normally, when Apple announces a product, it's available to buy that week. Um, this is just an interestingness because um, it just rarely happens. I mean, you know, the, I, the original iPhone was one of those products. The first Apple Watch was announced six months before it came out. Uh, but these are rare things, you know. Um, I mean, if we can move on... What did, in fact, get unveiled recently was the new MacBook, which... Now, you've been waiting for this for quite I a have, long time, James. I have. I've been saying that um, the, uh, the... You know, I, I'm, I'm... Again, on my day job, I've been looking to upgrade my work laptop, and I've been holding off for the latest MacBook, but mainly because Apple's cycles are so... Um, are, are so long that... Um, hang on. For some reason, I've got... Uh, You've got what? I had. That was really weird. I, I, you may have to cut this one out, Robin. Uh, I had a, Barking dog? I had a browser window that I couldn't find, so I just had to close them all down. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me fill in for you. Now, the refreshed Mac Pro line. Yeah, let me just get my history wow, back. They've taken the wraps off it. Um, it comes with something I know you've been waiting for, which is the long-rumored OLED panel. Yes. And the increase in the hardware specs up to the larger... Uh, SSD model, um, but it has lost something, hasn't it, James? Yep, it's lost the HDMI, it's lost the SD card, it's lost the power adapter. In fact, it's gained four, and I mean four, 
USB-C ports, which is very interesting. What's compatible with USB-C? Barely anything. Yeah, but they've learnt from the MacBook, which only had one. the one USB-C port. Yes. And obviously, in response to users' demands for more um, ports, they've put four in, which I think is good. Yes. No, it makes it makes perfect sense um, The um, from that perspective. However... The problem is, I mean, if I take my current MacBook today, I've got both two mini DisplayPort outs and a HDMI, so I can run three monitors from my MacBook today without any adapters. Yes, but you can do that with USB Type-C. Uh, yeah, sure, but, now, but I've now got to buy three adapters. Well, that's right. That's how they make their money. They're 50 bucks each. I know. And also, in pounds, the cost of these um, the MacBook Pros have gone up by £500. Yes, it's completely ridiculous. I mean, they start now at, um, the, if you want the 15-inch variant of the new MacBook, it starts at 2350 quid. I mean, that is, that is ridiculous. But we haven't spoken about the touch panel. Now, so most laptops today come with a row of function keys. And those function keys... Um, you know, F5 normally for browser refresh, um, F2 for edit, you know, that kind of thing, F1 for help. Um, however, not many people actually know what they're for. So what Apple have done is they've gotten rid of the function key bar and they've replaced it with a context-sensitive touchpad with a screen behind it. So the exact It's a touch-sensitive OLED, isn't it? Yeah, so the idea being that the application that you're in, let's say you're in a web browser, your favorites will go in there. Let's say you're typing an email, you get some emojis or spell check hints or whatever in there. It's all about helping you in the context of the application that you're currently in. It's like a mini second screen. It is. But they're very clear to say it's not a secondary display. And it's also not a touch display in the sense that a tablet would be. It's a peripheral. It's like a mouse or a keyboard. It's an external device to help you with your PC. Um, and uh, and that's really interesting because a lot of Windows manufacturers are moving towards, and I think Chromebooks are as well, the concept of having a complete touch screen. And Apple have said publicly that they're not going anywhere near that. So, so what's interesting is uh, this is kind of like a a go between. I mean, they've got some really examples, really great examples of how it could be used. So, when looking at photos, your film strip can be on the display, and you can flick between photos using the film strip and have the entire display taken up with the photo that you're looking at. I mean, that's really nice. But they have also made it clear that they don't know yet what it's going to be used for, and let's wait to see what third party developers do. So, um. You're right. It is an interesting departure from both Windows, of course, which is moving towards the say, Surface Book, um, uh, su Surface Windows Surface model of a full touchscreen, and to a lesser extent Chromebooks. That, of course, in order to support the Android ecosystem, which is coming in 2017, that only really flies if you've got a touchscreen. So actually, touchscreens are becoming a cheaper and more common now on or every other device and it's fascinating to see apple going uh, the other way but i mean you know they're a very thoughtful company they don't do anything on a whim i think they've probably got a really good reason for doing this so yeah i'm thinking maybe maybe they're onto something with this one but then i need to need to see it you know and i will be getting one um if it, if the stars align so 
Um, I guess I guess we'll have to take a look. I mean, look, from what I do, being an iPhone developer, you've got no choice but to get Apple hardware. It's annoying, uh, but that's just kind of the way it is. So I either get two machines or I get one, and that one happens to be a Mac. So, you know. Yes. Um, I Outside of professional, where, of course, they've always got a great market and they've always got people who are going to buy their equipment, um, I wonder how much of a home the MacBook Pro will have in in the consumer space. Certainly, it's going to have a gorgeous screen. Uh, it's going to have, you know, it's going to have all the um, uh, the the, the um, usual sort of design touches that you get on a on a MacBook Pro. They're going to make it fabulous. Uh, I just wonder whether they've lost the plot a little bit with this gimmicky bar. I know you're trying to love it. Um, but it feels gimmicky to me. It feels like something that's um, a little bit silly, and I'm not sure. I mean, it kind of sits uncomfortably between some physical keys on the row uh, or in the space that was previously occupied by the function keys. They've kind of left, as far as I can see, a few keys to the left and to the right. Um, on the right, it's sort of got you know volume and screen. Lock no, no, it's, it's a, it is a complete screen. It's a complete screen. Oh, hang on. So the whole thing... The whole thing, left to right, uh, edge to edge, is a complete screen. Oh, that I did not know. Ah, okay. Right, I understand. I understand. So actually, what the function keys are um, yes. is totally determined by the context. That's left to right. The fact that it's got some an, a strip in the middle, which has got color images and a slider, is all down to the software. Correct, yes. Yes, that, that's the idea. And in fact, they've even managed to embed a fingerprint sensor into the power button on the top right-hand corner. So if you're making purchases using Apple Pay, and Safari browser, of course, supports Apple Pay by default, you can use your fingerprint on your laptop. Now, I know fingerprints on laptops are not a new thing, but they've only ever been used for in the past for logging onto your PC. Um what they're able to do now is, you know, application developers to use it to authenticate for things within the apps. So that's an interesting way forward. And I guess we'll look to see how that's going to get uh, get much adoption, really. I mean, look, look this is only going to be useful, though, when third-party developers actually get their hands on it. So I guess we're going to have to wait a few weeks or months to see what happens there. But, you know, truth be told, I'm quite interested. Well, let's wait and see. So, moving on, we've got BBC. Um, it, this is a named BBC journalist, believe it or not, Chris Fox, talking about how Twitter has axed its Vine video service. Have you ever used Vine? Do you know, I have. I used Vine when it came out. Uh, I thought it was silly, the idea of six-second videos. And then, kind of a week or two later, I thought, no, actually, I can see why people want to do this. Because in the same way that Twitter forces you to put your express yourself in 140 characters and that's good because it, it promotes brevity and forces you to be a bit you know more um uh, hard on yourself to actually get the message across quickly i thought well actually the six second video is quite good and then my son watches vines he watches them on youtube which is odd but he watches vines and you know they're, they're very ultra compressed uh, and appeal to a certain type of person like Vine star Charlie Murphy. I didn't even know Vine star was a thing, but apparently it is. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'll be honest. I'm not a user at all. What, what's interesting about Vine? A couple of facts for you. They launched um, in 2012, but they were bought by Twitter before they even launched. They were bought for 30 million dollars 
before they launched. What the hell? That is just, that is ridiculous. I mean, well done to the founder, but crikey, that is absolutely incredible. Um, what's uh, what's interesting about Twitter is that they've uh, they've announced, I mean, being a public company, they have to announce a lot of this kind of stuff, and they are cutting 9% of their workforce at the moment. They've been having a lot of problems with retaining users on the service. I mean, you point out every week that Twitter is only used by journalists. Um, and I guess the problem is that they are moving. Um, the, 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 it's not really the end thing. I mean, we did speak a couple of episodes ago about, you know, how companies, big companies today are very faddy. Facebook certainly has an issue with retaining users because people don't really use Facebook as much as they did. Um, maybe Vine is just a way of Twitter kind of cutting kind of a few of the strings somewhere. Well, to me, the real story, James, isn't the fact that they're cutting Vine. The real story is that they've got bigger problems at Twitter. Yes. Uh, and I think they probably had a meeting and somebody said, what can we do to improve our profitability? Now, you know, James, uh, being a, a CEO uh, and entrepreneur, you know that the way you improve profit is either on the downside by cutting costs or on the upside by growing your business, growing your sales, growing your product range. Now, if you cut your costs, there's only so far you can cut your costs before you've got nowhere else to go. You're cutting into the muscle. Whereas if you grow your business out through acquisition and sale, uh, uh, sorry, acquisition and marketing and uh, doing new things, there is no potential um, top stop on doing that. Now, their purchase of Vine and wh what was the, the live streaming video? Was that Meerkat? No, it wasn't Meerkat. No. It was it's Periscope. Periscope, yeah. So th those products there, are, 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 you know, and Vine itself was seen as, when it was on the growth trajectory, as something which made it look good for public sale and fl flotation. Uh, now, what's obviously happened is that they can't monetize any of these things. So they said, right, let's cut the thing which makes the least amount of money for us. Let's kill Vine. So it smacks of the accountants are in control and they've lost their way when it comes to strategy. Now, as soon as that starts happening, at a uh, Silicon Valley company, you've got problems. Well, I have to disagree with you on that last sentence because if you remember when Facebook IPO'd, the biggest concern that the, that the markets had was they had no monetization on mobile. And now more than 50% of their income is from mobile advertising. So um, I think the accountants controlling the company, or at least helping steer the direction, is really important because, well, if you don't keep the light, lights on... You lose 9% of your workforce. Yeah, but Tesla never made any money. Okay, well, they clearly had a different investment strategy. I mean... <laughs> well, that's true. It, so the question it, is, it, did they go public too quickly? Well, the, the, yes. Yeah, of course. At the end of the day, it's the investors that determine where the company is going. Because at the end of the day, if they own the company, they decide. And Twitter's investors clearly aren't as confident as, say, Tesla's investors. Indeed not. And talking of Tesla, James, Tesla has unveiled its new line of camouflaged solar panels this week. Jack Stewart reported on the 28th in Wired that Tesla CEO Elon Musk took to the stage at Universal Studios to unveil a range of textured glass tiles with integrated photovoltaic cells that are nearly indistinguishable from conventional tiling. Now, he also um, unveiled a sleek update to the company's energy storing power wall, um, and he did this 
on the row of suburban American houses of Wisteria Lane, which is an old set um, of the TV show Desperate Housewives. Now, the way this coating works, James, before I get your reaction to this, is a bit like those privacy screens you sometimes see on monitors, um, which sit on front of the monitor, and the lawyers sometimes have them, or, you know, the CEO, um, where you have to be sitting in a certain uh, plane, a certain angle to see the screen. And if you kind of deviate from that, it just appears to be black. Now, um, this special coating becomes more or less see-through, depending on your viewing angle, and they're working with 3M on the technology. And uh, did you see the video? Yeah, I did. Can I just say, before we start talking about the technology, um, Elon Musk cannot present to save his life. Not not if his life depended on it. It was just, it was cringeworthy watching. It was, what, a 20-minute video. I watched it um, downstairs with my wife, and she made the point, actually, before we started watching it, she said, just be warned, this guy can't present anything. And, wow, she was right. It was just completely cringe. He needs to learn how to hold the remote control to, for his PowerPoint presentations. I mean, no, it needs to clicker. Yeah, he needs a clicker. That's you know, a clicker will save him. Did, but going back to it, yes, I did see it. The technology, it's really amazing. Um, what I found a bit interesting about it is it was a Tesla and Solar City presentation, which um, the I believe the merger is still going through. Uh, is it the Competition Commission or something? Uh, whoever it is in the US is is validating that but I, I thought it was a little bit strange that it felt maybe like they're kind of pushing this to prove that they need to work together or something because Tesla had never done solar panels these solar panels are being launched as Tesla products not as solar city products so solar city didn't seem to add any value to the presentation but Elon Musk made a big deal about them being in the presentation yeah, so so the branding itself, if you look in this wonderful Wired uh, article from Jack Stewart, there's a fantastic picture at the top of it, which has got your perfect eco house on it. It's all kind of tight angles, Nordic wood and big windows and solar thermal surfaces. And in the garage, you can see a Tesla Model 3 with the new Powerwall, which he also announced, which is version two of Powerwall, which is uh, effectively a, a, a big, bright, white rectangle, uh, rather than being curved like the previous version, which will cost $5,500 for 14 kilowatt hours of storage with a seven kilowatt hour peak power draw. And that's enough to, to power this beautiful four-bedroom house for a day. Um, and then you've got the tiled roof. All the roofs are tiled with these tiles, and it just looks like a regular house. And you think, wow, we, you know, we are living in the future. He is painting a picture of a range of Tesla products all working together, not just the, the car, but the power, the way the house energy is managed, both in terms of the inputs from the photovoltaics cunningly built, woven into the design of the house, and the way that power is harvested and managed for best efficiency. So, you know, he, there's a fabulous vision joining Tesla together, which is something to be admired, isn't it, James? Oh, it's it's great. And uh, we're certainly looking at the concept of solar. So I have to ask, as somebody with solar panels, is the power wall of interest to you? 
Yeah, it is. Um, so you're talking about photovoltaic. So there are two types of, of, of harvesting um, the power of the sun. One is through solar panels, solar thermal panels, where where effectively a heat transfer fluid is passed uh, uh, through a sort of lattice work in a big picture frame uh, and the direct rays of the sun are kind of amplified with mirrors in vacuum tubes to heat this solar thermal fluid up and then it is flushed through your hot water tank and effectively the heat of the sun is directly transferred into the hot water system of your house either for hot water for showers and for for washing or for um, heating your house it's very efficient then photovoltaics are panels which convert the light energy of the sun into electricity at about 20 percent efficiency um, and it is the electricity generated from photovoltaics which are then stored in you know lithium phosphate lithium ion batteries inside the tesla power wall and the idea is that during the day any energy which you don't use instead of exporting it to the grid which is you know there'll always be somebody who can use your electricity you actually keep it yourself in a battery pack stuck to the side of your your building and then consume it in the evening when you need more power for cooking and lighting so as part of a sustainable system of solutions both solar thermal photovoltaic and battery storage and then ultimately of course electric cars um which potentially could just be another battery storage source all kind of beautifully tied together in this sort of circular self-referential self-sustaining transportation heating and lighting system for your life so it has beauty and it's something that um that i'm very interested in but it only really works when you've got all of them if you see what i mean well yeah sure i mean but then you've got electric i mean you're you're the perfect kind of case study for this right you've got electric cars you've got solar panels um i mean do you know today how much of your electricity comes from the grid and how much comes from your roof yes yeah i do um so during the day we use uh, there are mechanical ways so what you can do is there's a thing called an imasun which you can attach to your hot you can get, get yourself a big hot water boiler um, and when you're generating more electricity than you're consuming, instead of exporting the electricity to the grid so that your neighbor can use it, and then, you know, that you get paid 3p per kilowatt hour for doing this. Um, instead of doing that, you actually just heat hot water. So, so you take electric energy from your PVs and heat the water up. The idea is to, to generate enough electricity for your own use and no more, and that's the most efficient way to do it because you're not then dependent on the grid to share with people and and it's the same if you throw wind into the mix as well where you're actually doing community-based windmills they can generate nine kilowatts 15 kilowatt hours you know a lot of power um that that only makes sense really if you've got a small neighborhood or a village or something like that but the idea is to create communities of dwellings and houses and vehicles which are which don't really overall don't draw any resources from the center and the reason why this is good is because it's renewable way we live in a rich country b we can afford it and c um it means there's less reliance on nuclear and less reliance on coal-fired or gas-powered uh, we're burning less hydrocarbons. Yeah, no, it, uh, it, def it definitely makes a lot of sense. Um, so going back to the, the story, I think that it's a very interesting thing that Tesla are doing. Um, 
the tiles looked amazing. I mean, you really couldn't tell. I mean, when you watch the video, you kind of assume that there's one of the houses that, but when they unveil that three of the houses have got these uh, panels on and all different types and whatever, it was pretty impressive, I have to say. So it's a very bright future that Elon Musk is presenting. And Tesla did, in fact, post a profit last quarter. So, you know. They did. You're absolutely right. They, they did. did the they right did. thing. So great products. I don't think there's any kind of tech tasm here apart from uh, Elon Musk's need to get a clicker. Now, on Techtasm, James, we try to find one stupid story each week. Is this it? Google are trying to invent the whiteboard, according to Computer World. This okay. week, the Jamboard is a cloud service 55-inch display. Sorry, in- sorry. can you say that again? The Jamboard. Jamboard, yes. I don't like Not interrupting you, but that couldn't go without... No. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the Jam Butty uh, is, is a massive touch display and accompanying cloud service... That will supposedly help business um, brainstorm together better. Um, now, uh, there's a lovely video in the Computer World article. It's a YouTube video which, which explains it. And like every Google video, it makes it look fantastic. Uh, at the moment, this product is only um, in private beta for business customers of Google's G Suite productivity service offering and will be generally available next year. But effectively, to describe it, it's a, it's a big TV on a stand with a plug and it's got a little sort of tray underneath the screen on which there is a um, a circular eraser um, a pen and i don't even know what the other one does a swipey stick mm. uh, which allows you to interact with the board um, and people can also join in the collaboration on their um, ios devices and their android tablets and phones um, and of course you can hook multiple jam boards together in different sites to collaborate together now i think this has been done before hasn't it james yeah um microsoft surface springs to mind and it didn't do particularly well although to be fair microsoft has a big history of launching something it didn't do well and somebody else does it better the tablet springs to mind um but um yeah it has been done a few times before um that is i mean i'm looking through the article the called company, the Surface Hub, the Microsoft one, the Microsoft Surface Hub, which which comes in eighty four inch and fifty five inch. This is virtually the same thing. Yeah, and look, to be honest, there needs to be, um, you know, um, a lot of different um, companies kind of attacking this and, and whatever else. It's it just seems like a. I don't mean to jump to the punch really, but this is just a massive tectasm to me. <laughs> Well, they're not revealing the final pricing, but it's expected to be uh, about $6,000 at release. Are you going to buy one? <laughs> I'm a balls. I mean, come on. This is just... <laughs> this is It's a big tectasm, isn't it, all over it. The Microsoft have tried, and they have got fantastic connectivity with Enterprise, and they couldn't even sell their Surface Hub device to anyone that I know. Um, so I, I think this is the tectasm. Yeah, can we move on? I've got one more for you, James, and then that's it for today. Yeah. It's another piece of hardware which is strangely a bit like the Jamboard. Okay. 
Now, the nameless journo droid in the BBC this week reported uh, on the 26th about the Surface Studio PC. Now, what this is, is an all-in-one desktop called the Surface Studio, which is about a 23-inch, I think it's a 23-inch, 28-inch. It's a quite a big touch screen with a sort of pen attached to the side, yawn, yawn, running Windows 10, which you can then tilt back. You kind of push it away from you and it tilts back down to about 30 degrees. Uh, and it also, it comes with this little eraser. It's a little, I suppose you'd describe it as, as a knob. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's kind of big white, big white knob that you, that, you, that you can turn and twiddle. But you can also put it on the screen and turn it. And as you connect it to the screen, obviously some sense technology inside the screen detects its presence um, and will, for example, throw up a color wheel around it and allow you to, as you turn it uh, on a sort of uh, access point, um, it allows you to pick the color. So, so it's obviously directed at creatives. Um, you you uh, impressed, James? I have to say, when I saw the surface dial, the, the surface dial, the knob, it. as uh, as it shall be known in the UK from now on, um, it looked really impressive and very nicely integrated. It was, of course, a marketing video, so it was bound to be. What um, I'm curious to know how it could be used for other applications. Uh, the idea of something covering the screen because um, is interesting. Um, what's quite impressive, though, is um, the the size of the display in its thinness is really impressive. So it's super impressive. If you scroll down on that BBC article right to the bottom, thank yeah. you, nameless journo droid, um, that picture of Panos Pane uh, stroking his surface is really quite something. Yes, at least he's not stroking his um, other surface surface dial. <laughs> uh, I was going to say a white knob, but that would have been inappropriate. Um, well, look, the Surface Studio costs between three two thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars and four thousand one hundred ninety nine dollars when it goes on sale in the US on the fifteenth of December. Uh, and I would say, while they've had some success with the Surface and Surface Pro lineup. Uh, sales of PC and tablet computers are experiencing their second consecutive year of decline. And Gartner are forecasting that after an 8.7% fall this year, sales will see a slightly smaller dip in 2017 and then return to growth in 2018. So writing's on the wall, uh, isn't it, for this sort of device? I mean, I, I, you've got to give Microsoft credit for trying like crazy to make the Surface line work. It's definitely innovative. I, I think... You know, not to read too much into the numbers, but certainly um, in uh, in my household here, we've got three iPads of varying ages, not wanting to upgrade because I don't see the point. They all run Netflix, so what do we need a different one for? So I think that's the general problem with technology. You know, they have to innovate every year and every year and every year, but in reality, there aren't that many people out there who will keep buying a new one every year. And most people today have got a tablet, so I don't need another one. The Surface Studio, I don't actually know where it fits in the world. It's really great, but home users... Isn't it the iPad Pro? It is. It's, it's the iPad Pro running a proper operating system, I guess. <laughs> Coded message. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm not convinced. I don't know. I, are you... Would Tectasm or not? I don't know. I, I kind of... the My love of Microsoft want to say, say no, but I don't, I don't actually understand what it's for, other than the 
uh, surface dong that it comes with. I don't <laughs> quite understand its purpose in life. I'm going to have to call this one a tectasm, I think. Yeah, okay. I think it will come here and it will fade in the same way that the Microsoft Surface Hub has arrived and faded. Uh, though I do not have any sales figures to back that up, dear listener. But when did facts ever get in the way of a tectasm story? Would you, Adam and Eve, it, James, we've reached the end of this week's show. And uh, listeners, you can find us at facebook.com slash tectasm or subscribe in the usual places. Contact us at feedback at tectasm.com. Uh, and as James joked at the beginning of the show, we do record every Tuesday, uh, most Tuesday, the last two Tuesdays at 2100 BST GMT. So tune in next week to see if we manage to get three on the bounce. But in the meantime, this is me, Sir Robin Yellow. And me, James Woodall. Asking the question on your behalf, is it real or is it just a tech tasm? Thank you.